A podcast where we go one-on-one with fiction creators, such as authors, filmmakers, actors, songwriters, and more. Each episode, we get the inside scoop on our guests' creative process, the ups and downs of their industries, and our guests also give out tips and tricks that help them become successful. And now, let's jump into the episode with your host, Chris C.L. Lowry. All right, all right, all right, all right. We are back with another episode of the Fiction Addiction Podcast. My next guest was born and raised in Flint, Michigan. She began to take her writing seriously in 2015. Her writing started with the story Love Lost while she was unemployed after graduating from Davenport University. Three years and two accounting jobs later, her debut novel Love Lost was published. Love Loss was nominated for AAMBC's 2019 Urban Book of the Year Award. Since publishing Love Loss, she has continued to write publishing Love Loss Forever, the second book in the erotic Love Loss series in June 2019. Her third book, Love Loss Revenge, is expected to be released in March of 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the one, the only, Portia Dion. What is going on, Portia? Hey, hey. Thank you for that intro. I love that. Yeah, that joint was hype, right? (laughs) 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 All right, so we're going to jump right into it. So I I see that you begin writing seriously in 2015. So that means you've been writing, but you just weren't taken seriously. So when did the actual writing journey begin? Since I was a kid, I've I've had, and I guess in many ways, I didn't really realize what I was doing, where um, I would create these stories in my head with, and put people that I actually knew into these different situations in my head and kind of just like let it play out into these crazy things in my head. But I never really thought about writing them down. Um, Sometimes... Like, you know, when you get, as a girl, when you get in those teenage years and you start keeping a diary, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. some of those stories (laughs) went into that. But again, it was never anything that really clicked to me as, hey, I can do this as a career type thing. Um, So, yeah, it wasn't until the love loss story came to me and I was like, I better write this down. And like for real, write it down. <laughs> mm. So, like, how did you transition from writing at leisure to okay, now I'm about to be on a serious path? So, what was that like? It it was actually quite easy because I was unemployed at the time. Um, I was looking for a job, so I would get up in the mornings and you know hop on Indeed and LinkedIn and you know do all that stuff, and then. Once I kind of went through all the postings that was available, I would just sit and write. Um, And having all that free time allowed me to write the first six or so chapters of the first draft of Love Loss in about two days. Mm. 
So what what was the goal at that point when it when it when it uh came to your writing? Because obviously you were looking for for jobs, you were actively looking for jobs, but at the same time, you know, writing um could also be a career for you. So what was the goal at that point? Was it something where like if the writing took off, you would, you would focus solely on that and not worry about the jobs, or was it like at the time you wanted to do both? At the time, I wanted to do both. I I guess I couldn't really see how I would make it a a job. Um, So so I kept, I continued looking for a job. It it was one of those things where it's like, okay, whichever one happens first. (laughs) And (laughs) right. And 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 because of that, you know, I continued to write and was still looking for a job. I found a job before I finished writing Love Lost. And I was, because I hadn't taken it seriously before, and in many ways, I really didn't know where I was going with it. It was more so, I shouldn't say it was something to do to take up my time, but in many ways it was, because I had a lot of time on my hands. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to be traditionally published, self-published, didn't know how to self-publish, where to go, where to start any of that stuff. So I had to take the time to research that and figure out what the best route for me was. And that took some time. Mm. So which which route did you um, ultimately end up choosing? Self-publishing. Self-publishing. Um, after talking with different um, authors and stuff on social media, mainly Twitter, the writing community is, you know, um, it, it's awesome everywhere on every social media platform, but Twitter is where I seem to be able to connect with more people. At And after talking with some folks, and particularly female authors of color, um, and, and seeing how, and listening to their stories and how some of them struggle with traditional publishing because agents and publishers want them to change the race of their characters from black to white. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh-uh, nope, mm-mm, nope, <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. I, I will fight somebody <laughs> if they ask me to do that. No. <laughs> so that's crazy because, um, because of the predicament, obviously, you know, as a writer, you, you, you want those accolades. You want that opportunity to show your work. So, why was it so important to you uh, not to take the traditional publishing route because of those issues that you were running to rather than being somebody like, oh, whatever, I'll change fucking my name if you want me to just to get the opportunity. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I, I get for some people that works in that and, and not faulting anyone who does that. But for me, it would not have, I wouldn't have been true to myself. I wouldn't have been true to the story. I wouldn't have been able mm. to to really fully write it. I mean, Love Lost, that story went from being a standalone 20-chapter novel to being a three-book series. So looking back on it, I don't think I really would have been able to do that had I been willing to change some of the things that to me were major points. And it it would have made sense. It would have been authentic. And I feel like I probably wouldn't be able to sell the story even to myself, let alone somebody else. 
Right. Now how so, how important yeah. is that in your writing? How important is it to have to maintain that authenticity in your writing for you? For me, if I don't maintain that authenticity, there's no point in writing. Mm. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> like like there's no point if if I'm not okay, because let, let's be honest, even in the world of fiction, and that's what we talk about, and that's that's what we dwell in. Um with these a lot of these various genres, there's a piece of you, the author, that goes into each scenario, into each character, even though characters that you don't like. You know, absolutely. Um, there's pieces of you that go into each one of them. So when you start changing things just to make them fail and not being truthful to the story, not being truthful to yourself, is it really worth writing? Because, mm. and, and not only is it worth writing, would it be worth someone else reading? Right. So and that um, and that's and that lasts forever, like you know what I mean. The exactly. characters and that impact a book has, like it will last forever on your name. But and I think I feel like readers are intelligent enough to be able to tell when an author is phoning it in in a in a story. Mm-hmm. I, I I felt because I mean, there's been times where I've been reading a book and I felt like, okay, that wasn't even necessary. Why did you go and do that? Like not because I didn't like the situation, but just because it felt forced. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I, I think readers are intelligent enough to pick up on things like that. So for me, um, and for the, the fan base that I've created and will continue to, you know, grow and expand, it's it's absolutely crucial for me to stay truthful to my voice. So you made the decision to self-publish. You mentioned yes. you had to do a lot of research. Take me on that journey of self-publishing from the from the moment you started to to this point now, obviously when you have grown and you've learned so much. Oh geez, there's so much information out <laughs> there. I mean, it can be absolutely daunting. I remember looking at it and having a tablet, a notebook with comparisons of the different things. And uh, when I first started looking at it, you know, create space was the thing. And right. I said, oh, okay, that's cool. And created a whole profile on there, started the initial setup of my book, even though it was nowhere near ready um, for publishing, but just started the initial setup for it. And then uh, once I got closer to that final draft and had to say, okay, exactly what am I going to do? And I looked at Create Space. I looked at, well, at, at that time, it wasn't Create Space anymore. It was KBP Publishing. Um, so I looked at KBP, looked at Lula and um, Ingram Spark and all of those various ones and, you know, kind of compare, okay. What's the printing cost? Well, what would be the printing cost of this book compared to all three? And, and uh, turnaround times and how do ISBNs work? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so all that, all that stuff. And I had already actually got at the time, and I didn't know that 
really shouldn't do this. But I had already um, gotten a or a sign and a sign ISBN through Create Space, and I did that. And it set up to my So I said, Oh, wait, they give me an ISBN for free? That's cool. Yeah, we're going to do that because that's right. one less thing for me to do. Wrong. Wrong, wrong. <laughs> that was the wrong thing. Right. And why? Tell, tell for, for those writers out there who are doing that, um, tell them why that's the wrong thing to do. Well, you want your own ISBN because that ISBN is linked to what's called the embers. And in order for you want to have absolute control over your own stuff. You are your own company. And there's no reason why Amazon company, whether it's KDP or Great Space or whatever, should be on your stuff. You want and, and also, it, it comes, it's important if you're trying to get your books into major retailers. Because mm-hmm. in Amazon's ISBN numbers, and that imprint, especially with a lot of stores, say Barnes and Noble, and any other um, chain bookstore or major bookstore that orders off distribution list, with code within that is a do not return. Bookstores won't take their books if they can't return them because they're not selling. Right. So, um, and, and I think that's one of the other things where I messed up that too, not realizing, hey, this is a business as well. It's not just writing, it's also a business. So, it wasn't Absolutely. until after I published my first book where I stopped. And got my, you know, got my LLC and um, did all those things to set myself up as a business. Right. So then, you you drop your first book. Um, yeah. How was the release? How did you do the release? Did you just do the? Uh, did you do pre-orders? Did you do just a release and post? Did you have a launch party? How how was your release? the first book I, <laughs> my release, oh my gosh so i had a pre-order for the ebook set up um and that did okay but when i was trying to get the paperback book set up i was trying to set up a um pre-order for it not realizing that kdp didn't allow for that and mm-hmm. accidentally hit published <laughs> oh, so it was out before it was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up coming out. I think the day I was promoting was December fourth at the time, and it ended up coming out around November twentieth or something. Oh snap! <laughs> <laughs> so it was one of those. Oops. Oops! Right. <laughs> but, but I mean, it kind of worked out because it came out just before Black Friday, so I was able to get up on sales and stuff from that. So it ended up being a blessing in disguise. But it went from, you know, promoting a de- December fourth release to saying, you know, oops, I did it. You know, it's out now. Go buy it. Go buy it. So that's kind of what happened with my first book, and because. It happened that way, and um, 
I wasn't planning on that November release. My book signing wasn't until January, until after the holidays. So there was a lag in time there. Um, I didn't do a book signing for the second book, which I should have done. But one of the things I learned is to have the book signing much more closer to the release date. <laughs> From that, so it, 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 in the little happy accidents, there are lessons. But yeah, that, that that was my launch experience. I, I launched my book before, and then and then the ebook wasn't ready. It wasn't available when the paperback was. So I had people who were while the ebook was on pre order were asking, "Well, what about the paperback? What about the paperback?" I'm telling them I'm working on it, and then I accidentally released the paperback, and now I'm saying the paperback's out. And then the folks who pre ordered the ebook was like, "Well, I still can't read the ebook." Yeah, you still gotta wait. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so then you you drop the book, and then AAMBC, which is the African Americans on the Move Book Club, founded by Tamika Newhouse, they mm-hmm. drop um, their awards, and you're nominated. What yeah. was that feeling? Did you know you were going to be nominated, or how, how, what was that feeling like when well, you found I, out? I, I submitted, I submitted my book myself for consideration for the nominations, and I did it. That was probably towards the beginning of December of twenty eighteen when I did it, um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until that following February. Or, yeah, I think it was that. Fo- it was the following February when, when it was announced who the nominees were. So I was just sitting at home, most likely watching something on Netflix. Um, I, I remember I was watching TV. I don't remember what it was, but sitting there, and then my phone goes off, and I look and I see someone's mentioned me on Twitter. Open up and look at it, and it was the AAMBC awards profile and saw that, you know, I was listed among one of the nominees, amongst the nominees for Urban Book of the Year. And I Mm. sat there, I could not breathe. Could not breathe. (laughs) Like, I just sat there at my phone like, is this real? Is, is Is this happening? And then... When it sunk in that it was happening, I just started crying, like mm. ugly cry. <laughs> <laughs> and I um, talked to my mom and told her, and she was excited. And then talked to my grandmother and. She was excited and stuff, and then I kind of just sat there on the couch, curled up, still in many ways in disbelief. But it it, it was mm-hmm. it was a very surreal experience. <laughs> it's like you, you think about it, you dream you you dream of those moments. Um, when you're doing something so big, when you're doing something that's such a big part of you, and you're putting your art out there, um. You you do dream of those moments, so it, it it was very cool, very cool. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
so you are from you were born and raised in Flint, Michigan. Um, yes. What's going on currently with Flint? Obviously, we all know uh, nationally. We heard about the the water crisis. How, like, how are things now? Like, how were you affected by that at that time, or still affected by that stuff with the water issue? I, I was not affected directly. I was not living. Um, actually, when they changed the water over, I wasn't even living in the city. I was living in Lansing at the time. And mm. when I came back this way, I was living just outside the city. So I still wasn't affected by it. Um, and But I had lots of family members who worked. Mm. You know, my... my um, aunts, uncles, cousins, my brother and his family all lived in the city uh, at the time. Plenty of cousins and stuff like that that effectively were being poisoned. Um, it's it's still an issue to this day. It's, it's now I believe this year makes either five, either five or six years since That's they crazy. made the switch and there are still thousands of service lines that need to be replaced. Um, Flint, a new mayor was elected to Flint this past fall, and they're doing the audit to see what the true numbers are for the homes and businesses who have had service lines replaced. Because I guess the information wasn't clear to the new mayor on how many service lines have actually been replaced. Like what, what, what are the actual numbers? We're looking at what work still needs to be done. And there wasn't anything really concrete on that. So I know there's an audit going on to look into that. Um, I, I just know there's thousands of service lines that still need to be replaced. Um, and even once all the service lines are being replaced, have, have been replaced, can't really accept it trusted. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, people are going to trust. They're still going to be buying bottled water. The state's no longer providing um, bottled water as they were. They closed. I want to say. I want to say all of them are closed right now. All the water centers have been closed. Closed to get free cases of bottled water. Um, a lot of the churches who were giving out free bottled water because they couldn't afford to continue to do it and donations for the water was coming in was getting low. So um, thanks to people like Jaden Smith and his water box, um, mm -hmm. he, he recently donated another one to Flint. So I think there's three or four of them around the city now where people can take their jug uh, or, you know, whatever jugs they have. And fill up with water so they can have clean water in their homes to, to cook with and drink and bathe in. Um, there's also, I, oh, his name slips my mind, but I can see his face. But he created this huge machine that basically creates water from the air. <laughs> um, he's okay. out of Texas. But um, there's one of those in the city. And go there to fill up their water jugs and stuff. Um, thanks thanks to people like 
them and organizations like that, people are able to get access to it. It's just not directly going into their home. Like they have to make right. extra effort to get to it. So it's still okay. not fixed, despite the the state um, when the former governor Snyder was in. Besides, they made an announcement saying that the water in Flint was clean. No, the water was clean where they tested. So, like, why do you think the um, it's not publicized as much as it was then? Because obviously the issue isn't solved. You know what I mean? And and going on, like you said, going on five six years, that should be even more reason why it should be publicized. Um, because the issue hasn't been resolved. Well, we as humans um, have short attention spans. And um, nothing stays in the media that long. It, like, it, it does, uh, especially with, with things like social media and the ability for stories and events to go viral and then you don't hear about it anymore. Plant was a hot spot big topic that was brought up in part because of the election the president the, um, 2016 yeah the 2016 president Clinton mm. came up a lot and right. there was a lot of stuff with candidates um, both Democrats and Republicans said about Clinton so not many of the voters actually ever came to Clinton um, believe Crickets now, yeah, right. <laughs> so, really, that was the last time it was where the water situation was put in front of everyone. And because that's not going on, and we haven't really heard it talked about during this present, you know, this campaign, um, none of the candidates have really talked about it. They brought up, you know, the crime bill. <laughs> Um, right. that Biden pushed for and couldn't stop. They brought up, you know, the whole, um, they brought up stuff with segregation, they brought up stuff with um, civil rights movement and things like that, but no one's really mentioned Flint. And that's, mm. as, as someone born and raised in Flint, still has family in Flint, who is in Flint a lot, it's very disappointing. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and besides the, the, the water crisis there, um, I think it was Netflix. Netflix had dropped the the, the uh, series yeah. Yeah. Um, regarding the crime and the police department and, and how they can't even get, like, they couldn't even hire people. Literally, like, they had no cops on the street, basically. Right. Um, did you watch that series? 
I did watch that series, and and it's it's interesting because I used to joke that you know there was only ever three police officers, officers in Flint, and one of them is always you know there's always one that's off duty, so there's only ever two out on the streets. And then I saw that really? documentary bad, and, and I saw the documentary. I used to joke about that, but I saw the documentary and I felt bad for ever even making a joke because I didn't realize. How little you have as far as right. and not to make it seem as if um, those who are those who are serving us as, as if they're not doing enough. But geez, they can't do their jobs overworked. They can't right. do their jobs understaffed. Um, they can't do their jobs when they're not being asked to be paid. Like, I think it was something about that fact that they hadn't had bonuses or raises. That's not fair. Yeah. Right. You know, that's that, that's not fair. Um, and it, I don't and it's know. Crazy. But go ahead. No, no, I'm saying it's crazy because I, I like I'm from I'm from Philly, so I'm from a city where our crime is 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 ridiculous, you know what I mean? At one point, we were the murder capital. They were calling it Philadelphia. Um, but we didn't have an issue like that. Like, you know what I mean? Even with the, we got like 7,000 cops, I think, in the city. You know what I mean? And they still had crime. And then watching that, where they had not enough cops, and there was, there was like literally shootings. I remember the one, the one episode, it was like a shooting that they couldn't get to because they were on another one. And by the time they got to that one, the ambulance, like the paramedics had already handled everything. And and people, like the residents were seeing, I think the guy's mom was there for, for a while without any, like you know what I mean? Without any law enforcement to even start the investigation. That's just ridiculous to see. You know what I mean? Well, and, and then it makes it harder for the officers to do their work with the paramedics. And, and nothing against the paramedics. Again, they were doing their job. But when the paramedics have to remove the victim before the police can even get there. That's right. evidence that the police can't can't collect. They can't document, they can't take pictures. They then have to go to the hospital. Like that's an extra effort for them to have to then go to the hospital and do it and to take shots of the bullet wounds if they need to or um anything like that. But then they may have to wait till the person gets out of surgery. So it's it's, it's a bad situation all the way around. And um, outside of funding, I'm not sure. Outside of more funding for more police officers, um, I'm not sure what would fix the situation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. So, now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what. How? Yeah, how would you even start to? You got so many problems, and and like, where do you? If even if you get funding, is that the focus? You know what I mean? Or is the water the focus over the the? Right. The that's a, it, it's you know what I mean? Between the police department and the water crisis, like, okay, which one do we focus on first? Because right. To, to for for the safety of the citizens and for the growth of the city, we need both. Gotta be able to, people have to be able to cook water. <laughs> yeah, really. have to be able to cook and, and do laundry and, and, and take showers and stuff. 
And, and that's crazy you gotta even say that. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> Those are very basic things. And they've also built space where they can be Yeah, absolutely. Without some type of police presence. And I know, you know, people want to, um, especially with a lot of things that are happening with um, unarmed black people being killed by police officers. I know I can see small police forces. And Flint, that's not a solution. Right. Um, we can't get, we can't possibly get a smaller police force. Um, yeah, then three people. <laughs> so, um, but funding is definitely a thing. Um, and, and just more of a sense of community mm. in, in the city as a whole. And I'm not saying that as if um, there isn't that sense in place because to, to a very great degree, it is. I oh, love, yeah. in the absolutely love my city. Anything I do, I'm going to do in Flint first, which is why my first book, my series, it, it takes place in Flint. It's set in Flint. Yeah, hell yeah. So, but I think the more of us that come together, the more of us that try to fundraise, get more of the local businesses involved, whether, and not even just local, any businesses that are here in the area where our shops are, whether it's the Taco House, you know, downtown, or, or or the Walmart. You're in our area, our people shopping. You should be willing to go. Right. And um, and not saying because I know Walmart has donated bottles of water and stuff in the past. Um, but it needs to be more than that, and it can't be something that's just short lived. Yeah, it needs a long term solution. Yeah, it, it has to be a continuing effort if we're ever going to get out of the city. Now, you brought up a uh, you brought up a good point in terms of uh, Flint being the setting in your book. Uh, mm -hmm. So, putting the crisis and the issues aside, Flint, when it comes to writing, Flint got some talent coming out of there, man. You know what I mean? Along along with yourself, obviously we got Ashley Antoinette and Jaquavis Coleman, that powerhouse writing couple. Why is it and, and they do the same thing, you know what I mean? They 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 make sure they represent Flint to the fullest, you know what I mean? In in their stories and and period. Um why is it important for writers like them and like you to represent uh your city? To combat the negative. Flint is a predominantly black city, and we all know how the media portrays black men, black women, black kids, black families. Um, it's not in the best of life. We have to show, hey, that's not what we're about. It, it, representation matters all the way around, not just in skin color. Gender or sexual identity, but also where you come from. 
it's 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 one thing to um, read a book and it gets you all in the fields to get some nice story, but it, it gets you differently when you read it and it's at home. You you connect with it in a different way, um, and again, it it just sheds another light on it. There's like it inside my book. The main character, Elise, she's a fashion designer. We have a lot of talented fashion designers here in the city. Um, mm. on fashion shows and stuff all the time. So, my character's a fashion designer. She participates in a fashion against violence um, fundraiser that helps helps to bring kids, six point kids, into the fashion industry to show them. Stuff in you know, New York fashion, LA fashion, um, things like that. That's the real thing here. Like that's a re- that's a real organization here. It's actually ran by my sister. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> so, um, and I mentioned her fashion brand inside my book. Um, there's local businesses that I mentioned. So there's you know. Even though it's it's uh it's an erotic romance, not a series that's full of drama and and sex and all that whatnot. There's a ton of entrepreneurship, a ton of philanthropy, um, and and giving back to and being involved with the community. Um, a lot of hiring your family and friends and everyone putting in work to build something. There's family building all in there. Um, we have to show that because there isn't enough of that out there. Mm. It's, it's, just, it's not enough and I think it will be a very long time before there ever is enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't think, especially because we've been so underrepresented um, and, and not just the city of Flint, but I think the black community as a whole. Mm. So underrepresented in, in so many facets. Um, especially in the misrepresented in the entertainment industry so much mm. since, you know, forever. <laughs> I, I, I think right, 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 right. To put those positive in, uh, images out there. Put more of the truth out there. So, Love Loss was written, uh, obviously, from first-person point of view, uh, Elise. Um, which point of view do you prefer writing in? It's, that's, I'll, I'll have to say probably first, um, first-person, if I'm working on a short story series that's going to go on my um was it was this thing called um Patreon that's going to go on there okay. and I'm writing that from from it's also first person but it's first person password so love loss is first person present um mm-hmm. and 
just even I have to catch myself while I work while I'm working on that short story because I will so quickly revert right back to first person present. <laughs> I'm like, wait, not says, says. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like so what is it about first person uh that that attracts you to it? Um is it more uh is it more of a connection with the character in first person for you? Yeah. Yeah, for me it is. I I like to be able to hear and and, and see the thoughts and be able to put in and, and be able to provide that to the to the readers. Um what that character, that main character or even main character from various points of view, um what those characters are thinking for. I guess that's one of the reasons why third person is really hard for me. Um, I tried mm. Initially, with love losses in third person, and it was not working at all. Um, really? Oh, so, oh yeah, yeah, it was not working at all. But, <laughs> but I, I know some authors who can only write in third person, and when they try to work right in first person, it, it doesn't work. It they suffer, and <laughs> their stories suffer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, it, for for me, it's for me, it's more of a of a connection with that character. Because um, I always say I I don't write, especially with love loss. I I don't write to create the next book boyfriend, but the next book EFF. So for me, especially when coming from when the book is from females point of view, I want. It is an erotica. Um, for your first book, what attracted you to that drama? It's probably my most the genre I read the most. Um, mm. I grew up as a teenager reading Zach. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever I'll read Zach, <laughs> 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 I probably should not have been reading at the age of.
Jody Ellen Malcolm is the best man series and another one, a wonderful series of books. Um, so romance is, is where I gravitate to with books and the arrived romance ones to me are the ones that I'm probably read, like reread the most. Right. So why do you why do you think there's such a stigma on erotica when um, most of the time there's more to the story than just sex? Like your book is more, w- way more to the story than just sex. You know what I mean? But some people they'll read they're like, oh, it's erotica. Oh, I don't read that. But but you haven't even given it a try. You just you you you're assuming <laughs> what, what's in the book, but you don't even know. You know what I mean? So why well, do you I, think it has that stigma? Well, that's because people are Christians in public and freaks behind closed doors. They're not willing to admit or let it be known that, you know, that they like reading that or that they don't want to be known what their level of truth is or is not. Um, right. It's amazing to me that today, in 2020, long as humans have been know what you want out of you know what I mean? But they're not encouraged to explore your own body. Right. So um women in particular are raised to don't talk about like you don't talk about sex. If you do talk about it, you talk about it with your girlfriends. Well talking about it with my girlfriends is not gonna get my dude to make sure he hit the right spot when he when he's eating. So what what right. what good does that do? Um Exactly <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, it's fun conversations with, with your friends. But the person you need to be having the conversation with the most is your partner. But people like outside of sex education and because it makes sex education so formal and mm-hmm. um People are in so many ways shamed for enjoying sex, um, which is why you know the sex positivity movement right now is such a big thing, and we're trying to get people to embrace, you know, what it is that they like about um, sex, where they enjoy or not what they enjoy, and not shaming anyone else for their for their picture or their 
that's why it's such a big thing. Right. Um, people, people, I feel like people don't talk about it enough, and they're not talking about it to the right. I think men and women need to talk to each other more about sex versus, um, you know, a group of girlfriends or, you know, a group of guys. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then everything, I think, yeah, I'm not even talking about just sex in general, but talking about what the emotions behind it, you know what I mean? The feelings behind right. it. Uh, because most people look at stuff, even BDSM, most people look at it like, oh, it ain't for me, but how the hell you know? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're just, like, once again, there's so much judgment behind it, you know what I mean? There's so, so much judgment behind it, and people don't, people are scared of what they are familiar with and mm. as humans we are raised to fit into a box. You know, your parents have you in a household, if they're in the church, you go to church, you start school, you go to school, you learn to work for someone else. You are not taught to be an individual. Right. So for someone to then stop and say, hey, maybe there's more to this whole sex thing than missionary. Because it wasn't all that long ago where any position outside of missionary was seen as, was seen as taboo. Or mm-hmm. You know, it that time really wasn't all that long ago. Um, and yeah, on the on the most part, different sexes, sex positions stuff has been worse, but we're we're just now. I shouldn't say we're just now getting the book, but like the whole thing with Fifty Shades, it, that was the first time where something BSM was so mainstream. Mm. Like there was stuff that had its little glimpses and stuff before that. But thanks to social media and time that Fifty Shades came out, um, that's where you saw a mass curiosity at the very least. Right. People became curious about it or they immediately said, that's, you know, you had some of the very strong feminists <laughs> coming out saying, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's women back. Exactly, like, right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now, the hashtag Fave Kinky Author. <laughs> where, where, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> um, actually, a reader said that to me. Mm. I was, um, yeah, it, it actually came to me from a reader. I was last summer. I was doing a series of events with um, the entrepreneur here who she she does nothing but help businesses grow and try to get businesses and small businesses and soldiers here. So in the summertime, once a month, um, she has a pop up shop outside her business, right from the sidewalk downtown, and. Um, I was participating in that this past summer. One, a, a customer had 
have bought my first book. The second book wasn't out yet. So she bought the first book and saw her again down here the next month. And she told me, she said, you are my favorite sexy She said, I love sexy books and you are my favorite I was like, oh, it just it stuck with me. And I basically just made that my business habit. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so break break this moment down for me. Okay. <laughs> we got oh. we got a young Portia read <laughs> her first book. All of a sudden she's around family and makes the announcement, hey, I got a book coming out. Family gets a hand on the book. <laughs> Mom Dukes opening it up. Grandma opening it up. What was the response from, especially mom and grandma, when they when they read your book? Oh, jeez. Okay, so mom. Oh, mom. She didn't know what BDSM was. <laughs> oh, she found out. <laughs> she said she didn't know what some of the stuff was, so she had to put the book down and, and pick up her phone and Google. And she was shocked. But she kept, she kept reading the book. And she said, I was so confused at first because I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and I didn't I understand didn't some of the language. She said, but I looked it up and I learned and oh boy. <laughs> and, and she was shocked by it, but she, she still, she told me she enjoyed the story and the twists and turns of it. Um, there were some parts, again, she was still shocked and a little Oh my, you know, type of <laughs> like that about it. Um, but she enjoyed it. And then my grandmother, oh, granny, granny, granny. <laughs> Let me tell you about my grandmother. So she gives you a little bit of background on her. She's very religious. Um, oh. And there's a point in time where my family, where we lived in Maryland, and then we came back up here, she made sure that my brothers and I went to church every Sunday. So my mom at the time working Sundays a lot. So my grandparents would come pick my brothers and I up to take us to church on Sundays and then choir rehearsals and all that stuff. And then um, we ended uh we didn't have a car for a while and so when we got a car my mom was able to uh, do that a bit more. So, my so grandmother is very religious. She has her master's in theology. Okay, mm. like she she's she's religious. Okay, she still mm. can let loose and have fun and, and crack jokes and all that stuff. So when I told her that I was writing a book, and <laughs> she said, "So is it my type of book or a Porsche type of book?" And a Porsche type of book to her is one that has all that drama and mess in it as she said right i said it's very much a portion <laughs> and she laughed and the book came out she got it she started reading it she called me one day and said now portion is she ever gonna get enough <laughs> oh snap <laughs> damn <laughs> 
<laughs> and then she said again at my book signing. She came to my book signing. <laughs> and we were all talking. And because my book signing was at one of at um, one of my girlfriend's businesses. And we were all sitting there talking about the books. And she said, I just keep reading, wondering, is she ever going to get enough? Like, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> my goodness. And she said, woo. And she said, there's some stuff in it. I was just like, come on, Portia, now. Did you have to be that graphic? And I'm... <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but she, when she finished reading, she called me and she told me that despite all of that, she still enjoyed the story. She said, you actually had a plot? <laughs> yeah, <ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all that stuff. So Gr- Granny was good. Um, Granny was good on that. I haven't talked to any of my aunts or uncles about it, though. They love the fact that I I wrote a book. Um, they haven't said anything to me about any of that stuff in there, except for one of my older cousins. She's actually my dad's first cousin, and um. She, let me see, May, bless her heart. She called me at six o'clock in the morning one day and said, Portia, how am I supposed to read this book and then turn around and read my Bible before I go to bed? I said, May, <laughs> I can't help you with that. <laughs> right. I can't help you with that one at all. So um, the fam- family members have been good about it. I would, I would say, because um, there's definitely some families who bought it out of support and they haven't necessarily read it because either they right, know right. it's not their genre um, or they're just not big readers, but they still bought it out of support, which was cool. Um, or they on the low. They, they read it on the low. They, don't, they just don't know how to bring it up. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised, especially with some of my family members. I wouldn't be surprised if they want to discuss it, but they don't know how. <laughs> right. They don't, they don't want to put themselves out. Man, shout out to all the kinky yeah. Christians out there, man. Y'all, y'all better come Right. <laughs> <laughs> you better stop hiding. You come on. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Um, it's, it's, yeah, that's, it's, it's so funny because I have another cousin who definitely fought, fell into that kinky Christian category. Bless her heart. Go on now. But after she passed, when we were at her house cleaning up, she found a riding crop sitting at the top of her bed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Right away. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and a good one, too. <laughs> that's <laughs> Yeah, that's but, crazy. But there, there's... You know, there's definitely the kicking Christians and stuff that, that's out there, but um, it's it's been very interesting seeing some people's reactions to the books, and and some people come up to me, people who know me, and what comes to me is like, you know, you told them yourself, right? I'm like, look, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that was about to be my next question. Like, uh-huh. how do you separate? <laughs> When it comes to the love life and dating and stuff like that, how do you separate the writer from the person? You know what I mean? Like if somebody, you start talking to somebody or somebody introduces you to to somebody and they read your book and all of a sudden they got this idea 
of what the hell is that in their head? How do you how do you draw that line? Like, hold on, motherfucker. That's the book. You gotta you gotta wait for all this shit. Well, okay, well one one of the things that like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode of the Fiction Addiction Podcast by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. But you know what? Honestly, it hasn't come up with me that often because I haven't been dating. I've been single for a little bit now. And because I've been in this mode where I'm so focused on my writing, I really haven't looked up at anyone. But there was a period of time where when I was writing the book, uh, before it published, where I was dating, and um, I remember telling the guy basically what the book is about. He looked at me, he said, oh, yeah, really? Okay. <laughs> and, and, and he, his, he, he just suddenly, just out of nowhere, was like, well, I don't want to know how wax poured on me or nothing like that. I ain't into that shit. And I just looked at him and said, hey, nobody what? said nothing about no dang old candle and how, right. what? <laughs> that, mother, that motherfucker wanted hot wax poured on in there. <laughs> right, for real. Like, how did you just jump to that? Like, so random. Jump out of that. <laughs> right. Like, how do you jump to that? Most people would initially say, okay, spankings, handcuffs, something like, you jump to hot wax. <laughs> right. And, Come on, bro. <laughs> it, it was so random. I'm like, hey, it, like, not even discussing limits and, and kinks and, and likes and dislikes, none of that stuff. Just basically telling him what the book was about. And he just looked at me and got this assumption and just came out and said, well, I ain't into no hot wax and no shit. Like that. <laughs> Dude, and did nobody ask? Right. <laughs> he was, don't would ask. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things I think in many ways I still have to like figure out but as an individual outside of, you know, being an author, um, when it comes to dating, that's not something I jump into lightly. Um, I do let it be known up front what I am into. Probably not going into all the details of it, but I am very clear. You're not getting that from me no time. So. Right, right. <laughs> Period. Gotta earn that. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting that from me anytime soon. Um, and, and for that matter, you're not getting sex from me anytime soon. So just put that out there. So, and right, right. That in itself immediately deters, would deter them. <laughs> and say, oh. <laughs> and then, you know, I get blocked from the dating app or I don't hear from them again. <laughs> oh, shit, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's happened. I, I,
Yo, man. So let's jump into your book, Love Loss. Yes. Which is about a successful um, young woman that has a fashion career. She's an entrepreneur, philanthropist. She has great friends um, that are like family to her. And the only area of her life that she's lacking is her love life where she's going uh, back and forth when her ex comes back into her life. Which, um was a nut move too by him. But <laughs> um, so, so break down the first thing of having a young, successful black woman as your main character. Why was that important? Oh, gosh, because I was so tired of Cinderella story. <laughs> I, like, I, I was, oh, I, I was tired of seeing, there's two, okay, so of the authors I named, I love to read, especially those that fall into the erotica category. There's two usual routes that they go. Either it's a, a young woman who um, hasn't quite gotten her bearing on life yet because I'm young or she's starting over or whatever the case is, and runs into, you know, has a chance encounter with some super hot, super rich guy, um, and her attachment to him immediately enhances her life. You know, she ends up moving in with him, uh, ends up working for him either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, I, I got tired of that Cinderella story. And then on the other hand, you have where it is a successful person, but in order for them to get their kink on, they end up basically destroying everything that they love. Mm. And I was tired of reading both. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of what, what the whole drive was with Love Lost, like to make make Elise a, a strong woman who could stand on her feet, who um, had a life and career prior to this guy coming into her life and making her she probably has a little bit more money to spend and she's more known you know than mm-hmm. um, so that way that not saying those books have the factor of the coolest one because I don't think it's a female lead in those books or women like that but that it, it, it removed that whole You know, thing where the woman has to depend on some um, thing. It, 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 it was more so, you know, see the quote author where, like, she she doesn't need you, but she wants you, and that's basically what I want to do. But you don't see that in other books, especially when right. like So that's why that was So as we mentioned before, your book isn't just 
um, the normal erotica, just the normal sex. It does include uh, the lifestyle of BDSM. And obviously for the, for the listeners that don't know, that's the, the bondage, the dominant submissions, that type of lifestyle. Um, what was your thought process in deciding to put that specific lifestyle in the book? Because it is something that isn't um, talked about or generally uh, accepted um, at face value. That was exactly why. (laughs) 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 Like, that in itself was exactly why. Um, Because not only, you know, in this way, sex still happens at an early age, but people who have had BDSM had either that thing run away from. Neither, neither of those two scenarios is fair to those participants. So it was important to me to have that factor in there as to, to help to be a catalyst to help normalize the idea of conversation. Now, for um, the people who dove into the book, uh, we don't want to give too much of it away. Um, the thing that I liked about it was it 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 made the readers think. You know what I mean? So even in the first few chapters, when you had Elise uh, sitting sitting there thinking about her ex Jalen, it was it was related to love, but it was also related. It seemed like it was related to the lifestyle. Like she. Um, she said, no one can, can touch me like you. No one can please me like you. So for, for those people um, that, who are in, those, in, the, in that lifestyle, do you think that plays a, lot, a, a big part in their decision-making in terms of the relationship that isn't necessarily the person they miss or the lifestyle they miss or a combination of both? In like a non-submissive type relationship, that connection is one that's very, I think, in many ways deeper than what a familiar relationship. Not saying that familiar relationships are, but um, it's a it's a different kind of relationship on a deeper level, just because it's something that Right. Uh, it, it, it was 
devastating and she couldn't quite get over it because she hadn't had that sex with anyone else, period. So for her, Jalen was the And then speaking of uh, her wanting that lifestyle, it also put like this this wall up with her when it came to um, confiding within her friend regarding her relationship because her friend had that uh, <laughs> judgmental mentality when it came to that lifestyle and that relationship. So, <laughs> so um, why was that important? Because I, I always 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 like to get in authors' heads and uh, and get behind the scenes of their thought process because you could have easily made it that her friend was support. You know what I mean? The, the supportive friend, like, oh, whatever you. But you made it like an adversarial relationship where um, Charlie wanted more from Elise, but in her <laughs> own way, like she wanted what she thought Elise should have, not what Elise really wanted. You know what I mean? So why did you go that route in terms of? Um, their relationships in, 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 at that moment? Well, I think, well, I, part of it was to show Charlie's mindset, and, and not just about beliefs, but about BDS and security. Her mindset reflected a lot, reflected what society on the whole really um, thinks of BDS that it's wrong, it's degrading. No woman should ever submit to a man that way, let him respect her, you know, whatnot. Um, so Charlie's perspective on it reflects a lot of society's on it. So to just give that contrast, because I don't feel like that's them against either or he gets against it just all hunky-dory about it. But that's not what society, that's not what the world has told So just to kind of show that contrast, to show, to be able to show beliefs and that, um, kind of taking a stand and defending it, and saying I don't have to explain it to you, either be happy for me or don't. Um, and there's a point in time in the book where they're having dinner, um, and. Charlie said, you know, well, I just don't understand why you uh or no, she asked Jalen, um, so why do you like to beat on my on my friend? Right. And Elise was like, Okay, dinner's over and she said, and and though it's none of your business, I like for you to be I not beat, but I like for you to put me over the it's not, right. it's not beating on me. He's doing what I'm asking him to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so, just to, to be able to show 
<laughs> and he's actually brought to it by his dad and, and mm. I mean, how that whole thing how it happened how that happened. so he, to, to be able to show that and, and Charlie just twisted it in her in her own way but I wanted to just to kind of add a little bit more strain to that Charlie's um, lack of willingness to understand, because that's really what it is. It's pushed against the U.S. So it's, it's really just a lack of willingness, lack of willingness to understand. I, I, right. I show so what what made Love Lost go from a standalone to a series? that's um that's a lot of what it was um like my writing process is basically i treat it as a therapy session i got my pen and notebook and teach you know talk into them take them make it So after I did the first draft of Love Lost, I sent it to a writer and get his thoughts on the CP. He was going to be working on the city and came back and said, You have it's, it, you have a very good base, you have good bones. He said, But you're leaving so much on the table, so much on this, this, and that. And at first, I was a little mm. <laughs> As it was, <laughs> and and um, I left it alone for a little while. I came back and I said, "Okay, maybe this wasn't all the way wrong." Um, mm. so, <laughs> I was working on the second draft. I kept adding to and adding more, um, adding more to it, and before I knew it. Well, actually, what happened was Microsoft Word started getting glitched. Um, it was over. It, it was a little over like hundred thirty thousand words. Damn. Handling the document well, um, one hundred thirty thousand words, and so I split the document. With the mm. that you know, I would work in both of them and then put it back together when it got ready to put it together. So, well, as I did this and I continued to write more and write more and add on, I realized I have enough here to actually do two different books, what to do, right? To make it a series and and 
to identify certain pages and being duplicates. And (laughs) 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 the way I write, I'm usually writing one story and editing another. So as I was putting the final edits on the first one, or actually as I was getting ready to publish the first one, setting that all up, I was editing the second one, then I had to start writing a third book, which is completely different. So it's a standalone outside of that first book. And mm-hmm. as I was publishing the first book, the character from Love Boss comes up and said, hey, there's more to the story. I'm like, <laughs> you're like, no, yeah, there's more. <laughs> and someone popped up and said, yeah, I can help. I'm like, wait, where did you just Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the third book came along. So um, I didn't immediately start writing it. I finished writing the first draft of the other story first because those characters were so forefront in my mind. Um, I finished that. And then after pulling Love Lost off the shelf, editing first edit, even though I hired the editor, it, it, it was not good. Um, mm. Putting that one out there, then publishing the second one, then I was able to finish the actual writing the third book in the series. <clears throat> so, do you have a I know every writer is different. Do you have a writing setup? Like, do you have a certain way everything has to be for you to get in your, into the writing group? Not everything, but I, I have to have my headphones and some music. Um, I have a writing playlist that puts me in the mood specifically for love loss. Um, really? Yeah, which it's, it's a mix of, see, Gail, Chris Brown, some poetry, um, Lana Del Rey, The Weeknd, Janae Accio, um, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> That's so fucking. <laughs> you go from one <laughs> I, I'm, I know. I'm Where the hell did J. Cole and Kendrick come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's so random because in so many ways they do not fit with the book. But for every reason. Right. <laughs> Thousand words, you tripping? <laughs> but, but it's so funny because I didn't do that with the first book, and that's part of why I struggled with writing it for so long. Why it took me so long to write it because I was sitting in front of the 
my laptop to get a blank page. I couldn't find the word. Mm. So, so it wasn't until one day I said, okay, I need to change this up because this is not working. And I sat down with some blank sheets of paper. And then, and then the words started coming. This, this came, this really came along with Of it, so I have like a whole notebook that has a bunch of stuff in it, love notes, and I would write these things. And that was another thing that I was doing with with the first book that I completely let go of. Now is trying to write a story chronologically. Mm. I'm a pants, which I come to learn. I totally freestyle. No outline. I may have an idea of where the, what the ending is going to be, but how to, what happens from point A to point B to point C, I have no idea. Mm. So I stopped trying to write the chapter before and just wrote the scene as it came to me. So basically, if you had like A to Z, if you one day you'd be writing D. Like that's D scene, and then all of a sudden you'll jump to like a S, or you know what I mean, instead of writing the order. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like for instance, for for the for the third book, right now in my file, I have chapters one, thirteen, all sitting in the draft room, and then I have about fifteen other chapters, fifteen to sixteen other chapters that don't have chapter numbers. But they have a title, so I know what is in that chapter. Right. They keep going the later you enter. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They're not on the draft yet. Simply because I haven't written the in between that connects it from the ending of chapter thirteen to where that chapter falls in. So right. I can then move all those around, give them their proper. <laughs> that's funny because it, it it sounds crazy but it makes sense because a lot of writers get caught up they'd rather sit there with, with writer's block trying to be in chronological order rather than writing what the story is telling you at that time exactly exactly and I found myself doing that a lot when I finally let it go I was able to write like that that standalone I published first book. I was able to write that first draft in like three months. Now, simply because I let death get back to messing with me. Um, I started working on that in November, three months before my book got submitted in January. So, in a couple months, I was able to write that first draft. And that's because I had already let that go and I just wrote the scenes as it came to me. Right. Well, I would write, spend a week writing my notebook, and then two weeks on either Sunday or Monday, that's when I would sit down and type up what I wrote in my notebook. And it usually goes into a document that's called Scenes and Notes. And it all kind of gathers there until I can pull a chapter out. Mm. 
dope. That's crazy. That's a crazy process. It's uh, it's different. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's crazy. So now, what what I want to do is, uh, I love doing this with uh with writers. Okay. Get them thinking because they we 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 all have our own idea of what our characters look like and from the from the different from the fans. So I like to get in the writers' heads. So now you out here. You out here with a million dollar budget to make a motion picture for Love Loss. Uh-huh. Break down this cast. Break down this cast for each character. That's of who you get. So who you who who you <laughs> Oh gosh. No one comes to mind when it comes to playing Elise. This is something that I've been no one. And I can't put an actor, an actress to Elise. And I don't know why. There's, there's some great actors out there and there's plenty of them who can do her. Right. But I don't, none of them fit for me. But outside of Elise, Jalen could very easily be album. Um, mm, shout out to Uncle Eve. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a big crush. I'm, I'm a little biased here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, Jock would be Billy Porter, who I absolutely love. He, oh, he would. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Wait, running back real quick. Running back real quick. For some reason, you watch Insecure? Insecure. Insecure. I, I don't watch With Issa Rae? Yeah, but I know. Oh. Dang. It's just. Oh, it's just born there. Um, That plays her, I guess, boyfriend or ex. That he, for some reason, when I was reading, Jalen reminded me of him, man. That freaking. That popping up, that popping up at uh-huh. the event, yo. He had the same right. vibe popping up on something else. It just reminded me of this dude from Insecure for some freaking reason. Well, <laughs> well oh, yeah, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Jock is Billy Porter. Yeah. Who had that film popping? <laughs> um, let's see. Charlie, uh, have you seen the show um, called The Magic? That's on the Urban Movie Channel streaming platform. No. Oh, there's there's a woman on there who plays a character called Nate Sensoray on the show. It's a really good show. So the Urban Movie Channel and they don't pay me for this. Okay, so this is like legit. Um, the Urban Movie Channel is a very service platform, basically for us. Has a bunch of like all about Benjamin Johnson, a bunch of like movies that were made and targeted to us. Um, and they have some be have a bunch of documentaries and stuff on there too that are really good. And then they have original shows on there. And um, it, the urban movie show was created by the guy, same guy who created. Mm. Uh, but one of their original series on there is a show called Monogamy by a guy named Craig Ross Jr. And 
his yeah, wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his wife plays this lady on there named Cesare. She could, I see her. I can't think of her first name for some reason. Her actual first name. I just know that her last name is Ross. For some reason, I want to say her first name is Cesare. But she could play Charlie. I, I absolutely would love for her to play Charlie. I was actually oh Karen Karen Ward Ross. Karen Karen yes. yeah. She she could play. She could definitely play Charlie. Um, Eddie, I could see being played by. Um, oh gosh. What's her name? Oh, 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 I can see her face. I just saw her on, I was just watching when they see us, um, Stormy Reed. Mm. <laughs> I can see her face. <laughs> um, either Stormy Reed or, um, oh, jeez, Zendaya. Oh, Zendaya, yeah. They got that same, yeah, they got that same type vibe. Yeah, yeah, I can see either one of them playing Kitty. Um, Devon could be played by, he's also on the show on the Urban Movie Channel Monogamy. Um, his name, his name is Blue Kimball. Kimball. Blue Kimball, yeah, that's his actual name. He plays mm -hmm. Not Carson. Well, I can't think of his character name. He's actually one of my favorite characters on the show. I can't think of his name right now. <laughs> but I can see him playing um, uh, Devon. Yeah. But that would be like my starting cast. I, but, but again, <laughs> I, I can't, like my finger doesn't land on any one person for a reason. That's crazy. And, and, and here's why. Here's why I have a struggle with passing Elise. Because I think someone is it's more so to do with Elise's body than her personality. Because, you know, in, in, in the book she talks about how she used to be overweight and then she lost weight, but she she's still not skinny, mm -hmm. but She's a lot slimmer than what she was like. She had lost like a hundred pounds. So to me, hundred, yeah, someone who who and is still very per curvaceous and and hip. Um, so someone that has like a knee weak body. That is that the right person? No, that's not the right person. Not no, hell no. <laughs> What's her name? She's in the movie, in the documentary, When They See Us. Um, Niecy Nash, like a Niecy Nash type body. Oh, yeah, yeah, hell yeah, yeah. But younger. And All I right. can't think of a young actress that has a Niecy Nash type body. Because every, every actress yeah. I can think of to play Elise, they're, too, they're and, and not to, like, Body, I'm not body shaming in any way, but every 
actress I can think of who's in that age range to possibly play a lead, they're too small. Right. And it wouldn't be believable that, oh, that person lost 100 pounds. You know, exactly. you know what I mean? Exactly. Right. right. But if, 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 if somebody can, can come onto the scene <laughs> that has. And get, and, and get ready for this character. <laughs> basically, yes. <laughs> I would love to have. So, so what's the what is your ultimate plan for the Love Law series? Where do you see it going? I want to get on the Urban Movie Challenge, so I need all mm. everybody that's listening to go subscribe to the Urban Movie Challenge. It's only five dollars a month, <laughs> and you can access mm. the <laughs> 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 But yeah, I'm actually um, getting stuff together as I'm wrapping. To go on oh. some free service. <laughs> well, that's hot. That's hot. Because, I mean, what's so what is n- stuff, that, stuff that's in there? I don't see it. It definitely won't go on cable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely won't. We'll put it on stars or something. <laughs> possibly one of those channels or like So outside of the Love Law series, what's next for Portia Dion? So what's next? Um, I'm working on a short story series that'll go on my Patreon, which I will be launching towards the end of next week. So be on the lookout for that. I'll put all that stuff out on my social media. Um, I am, you know, traveling, trying to, get into more shows, get more exposure. Um, I have another great kinky drama-filled story that I'm working on and will be releasing by the end of the year. Uh, There's so much going on, like between all the different stories. uh, It's it's a good thing I'm a type of person who works on more than one story at a time, since I probably wouldn't be able to handle what I'm trying to do this year. Um, but there's definitely a lot more stories um, that I think my readers um, would enjoy more. Um, I'm looking to get into some speaking engagements as well, just to talk about relationships and sex and mm. this crazy publishing industry. Um, and <laughs> you know, diversity and lack thereof as well as integrity and lack thereof within the industry. <laughs> Absolutely. So why, why do you think there is that lack thereof, both both of them, both the diversity and integrity? Oh, gosh. Well, the diversity is just because for a while, and even to this day, gatekeepers who were just determined to keep us, keep black people out of it. Um, or, or limit how much we could do within it. Um, even just last summer, I was talking to you know to a lady pitching her my book, and she just outright said this so boldly to me, and didn't think there was a problem with it. But she said, and she was a white lady. She said, 
you know, I don't think I've ever read a book by a black author before. Oh, damn. I mean, and she, like, she just said it's so, like there was absolutely nothing wrong with that statement. Wrong, right, right, right. <laughs> and I just stood there and I looked at her and I said, oh. I think to myself, like, I'm not sure if I want to be your guinea pig. Like, I would love to say yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, right. But I'm not <laughs> sure if I want to be <laughs> And, but I realized she wasn't the only one. Like she's not the mm. only white person who who loves to read and reads often and has never read a book by a black author. Mm. And that's mostly because again, with gatekeeping and when you look at who who runs and owns things, but like the, the bookstore industry in itself is like seventy percent white. Right. So when you walk into a Barnes and Nobles or just about any bookstore um, that's not black owned, even indie bookstores, when you walk into them, unless it's in the new releases sections, you're going to find all the black books, regardless of their genre, in one section. Yep. And because they're all in that one section, and white people tend to not go in that one section because it clearly says black at the top. You know, basically, it, it, it kind of acts as that uh, color only sign in many ways. <laughs> right. right. Unintentionally, right. but it, it, it has the same connotation. And I don't, I don't think bookstores realize that. Um, or maybe they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right. But, <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but um, they don't go into that section. They don't look at the books that's in that black literature section. Because in that black literature section is everything from religious to self help to to mm -hmm. sci fi to fantasy, romance, and African American studies. All in that right. one section, all on that one book, all on that book rack, all that stuff is stuck in there, and it's it's quite sad. Like there was one indie bookstore I was in last summer, and I found their black book section and kind of off to the side and in the in the back, and the two white guys that walked in at the same time as me veered off to the left when we got to that section, um, when we got to that area. I had never been in the store before, but clearly they had been and they knew that was the black section. I was just the store, mm -hmm. store and I said, oh, black books. Now, when I walked in, Thomas' book had just came out at the time. So his book was towards the front of the store. Thomas uh, was there and Michelle Obama becoming were at the front of the store. But the rest of the black books were on this one bookshelf um, towards the back. And again, everything black was right there. So Ayala Van Zandt was next to Alice Walker. They're not even remotely in the same genre. Exactly. 
Um, but to <laughs> get back to your question, yeah, <laughs> I think, sorry, <laughs> they, um, I, I think there's, there's too much gatekeeping in, in for so long. And, and I've heard that I've heard other authors of color say this too about things that they've heard come out of white mouths when it comes to black books, but oh, are they any good? Because we can't pop, like, it's, it's that whole, and I don't think they intentionally think this, and not all of them do, but I don't think they intentionally right. think this, but that we can't possibly do something good or do it as good as our white counterparts unless it's sports or music. Right. And the integrity part of it, that has no shade um, or or discernment of, of, of race or nationality or anything like that. Um, I think people are just greedy. Oh, yeah, they, be like they don't care. They, <laughs> they, they, they're scheming and they don't care who they do wrong. Um, there are authors who went from, you know, bringing in a nice not amount of money every month from their royalties. Um, unfortunately, royalties that were ill-gotten because of the systems that that publisher set up. But um, right. now they're not getting anything and they can't even release anything or get their books back just because. Which is, which is absolutely crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And it's going on with more than one publisher. That's the, like, why? <laughs> I've even seen reading groups or, 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 yeah, like readers groups and stuff on Facebook where they do something similar where everyone has to be on Kindle Unlimited and when mm -hmm. the author in the group, not, you know, drops a new book, Everyone has to show, you know, open up, add the books to their library, open it up, and then turn through the book, regardless if you actually read it or not, and then screenshots that you've gotten to the end of the book. Right. Now, I'm like, that's not fair to, that's not fair, because then people are charting, and they probably shouldn't even be charting. Right. And I, and I had this discussion with another, uh, another, um, Author that was on, I think she was on. Shout out to Untamed. Uh, she was on episode two, and she like like I said, she was she was a bestseller. And um, and I'm saying like, how do you feel about the title now, knowing that some people, a lot of people, not some, got it without even earning it in a sense. You know what I mean? It makes it hard for those of us who were trying to who are who have been trying to do it the right way. And not saying that those authors were doing it the wrong way, because many of, many of them didn't realize what was really going on. Right. Like, yeah, they, they, they didn't do it. But, they, but, they but, it, <laughs> but at some point, you but, not of what was going on. Um, right. But you can see but, it coming, though. You can see it coming when the reviews and the, in the repo, it's from everybody in your camp. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So at exactly. some point, you got to take some accountability. Like, um, I don't think we're supposed to be. I don't think this this is how it works. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think 
and I'm pretty sure some of those authors are great authors and write great stories. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how some of them end up. And some of them have gone on to write new stories and they self-published and they're doing great and still charted. Right. So, they, you know, they are good, but that won't necessarily be the case for all of them, which is unfortunate. Oh, absolutely not. You, you know, they, they won't be bringing in what they were bringing in. For some of them, that was, that was their sole source of income. Mm-hmm. So they, they got families and stuff they have to feed, and now that they can't, they, they can't. And then, for it to happen just before the holidays, you know, for a lot of this to be exposed and, and. Amazon to take the books down just before the holidays. That's not cool. That's not cool. Yeah, they're messing up people's money. <laughs> right. And is a uh, is a difference. You're on the, the other side of the coin now. Like so now you don't have this publisher's access to this publisher's graphic designers, editors, uh beta reader, you know what I mean? So it's so much now you gotta get on the independent side of things like the true independent oh, side and, and it's like well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of small press authors don't realize how hard it is especially in the world of fiction and 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 not children's books <laughs> um, right. how hard it is to get all that stuff and how much harder you have to work for all that stuff um you know there is no in-house editor. <laughs> right. There, right. There, you know, no in-house graphic designer. You have to pay somebody. And I've seen some some publishers, and um, this was a thing with, with a small press black-owned publisher last year where their authors were jumping shit um, just because they felt like something wasn't right. And the publisher was not releasing the book. They, like they would release the books to them, but not the book covers. And it would say that the book right. covers oh, yeah. of the publishing house, but you charge the authors for the book cover. Like the authors have receipts, itemized receipts <laughs> that shows that you That's charge crazy. them for the book cover. So how is the book cover the, still the property of your publishing house when the author paid for it? Yeah, when I paid for it. for it. Yeah. Man, it's it's messy. It's messy. <laughs> I will encourage anyone who's thinking about writing a book. If you're not going to try to be too busy publishing like one of the big five, just do it yourself. Right. Matter of fact, just do it yourself anyway, and 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 you still put you to one of these big publishers. Um. Because there's been a number of indie authors whose books ended up being picked up, whose who self-published, and books ended up being picked up by a, a big time publisher. It's possible. It oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, essentially, that's what happened with Fifty Shades Grey. A lot of people don't know that. Fifty Shades Grey was initially right. in I would encourage anyone to just self-publish. One, you get to know the business and the community more. 
you get to see all mm-hmm. that, that you wouldn't have to do with yourself. Just want to make sure it's Yeah, absolutely. You get to see that stuff and uh you're gonna make mistakes. Obviously we all make mistakes. we all learn from our mistakes, but it's it's the lessons, you know what I mean? They're, they're in business. Huh? I said like not getting your own ISBN. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And you can yeah, hell yeah, man. <laughs> and people don't realize it shows up. People don't realize that it, it comes up. It used to say create space when when uh they used to give to it. But now I think what KDP puts like independently they put something independently published or something like that on the on the distributor publisher and all that stuff information. So you can tell, like these bookstores and libraries, they can tell right away just by looking at well, yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Right. It's it's only two readers before somebody. <laughs> 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 but to put that so boom. It's sitting on my stuff. So Right. All all together. Yeah. So we're about to jump into the lightning round of the podcast episode. Um th- this round you I ask you two things you got to give one answer uh we try to do it for like 30 seconds to see how many things you can answer but okay, if we go over we go over <laughs> talking about some janky ass answers <laughs> 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 all right <laughs> you ready okay yeah windows or mac iPhone or Android? Oh, uh, Facebook or Instagram? Oh, um, Instagram. Rap or R and B? R and B. Physical book. books or eBooks? Oh, physical. <laughs> I got to <laughs> Texting or talking? Tea or coffee? Standalones or sequels? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> that's a hard one. Why would you do that to me? Serious? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Oh, God. All right. Uh, Good sex or good credit? Good credit. (laughs) Oh, shit. Oh, you already taking the corny answer. (laughs) Um, Michael Jordan or Michael B. Jordan? Good sex by yourself. (laughs) Michael Jordan or Michael B. Jordan? Michael B. Jordan. 
You just said good credit, though. Right, but you can have good sex by yourself. <laughs> that was like a minute. You went over there. <laughs> like a minute. <laughs> All right, so tell everybody where they can where they can reach out to you, where they can contact you, uh, where they can find your books at. All right, that whole spiel. So you can um, always be <laughs> on social media. I'm somewhat active at the present moment. There may be times where I just completely go off. But um, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My handle on all three is Portia Dion, D-O-R-S-H-A-D-E-E-N. And um, my books can either buy signs Right. On my website too. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, Portia Dion, we appreciate you stopping by for this episode of the Fiction Addiction Podcast. We have all the links to all your stuff for your dope book. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us on the Fiction Addiction Podcast. Make sure you visit fictionaddictionpodcast.com for links on everything we talked about today, as well as awesome resources, additional tips, and fiction addiction merchandise.